0: Hello, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Here we preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether you find the message to be uplifting or challenging, comforting or even unsettling, we hope it will help you grow in faith and your relationship with God. Thank you for listening. To God be the glory.
1: Good morning. The first reading is a reading from the 12th chapter of Daniel. At that time, Michael, the archangel, angel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish, greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Here ends the reading. Please read Psalm 16 responsibly. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I to the Lord, Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply with those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood, where you speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land, What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. You will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. The second reading is from the 10th chapter of Hebrews. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away our sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly, without wavering, to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Here ends the reading. Please stand for the reading of the gospel.
0: Our holy gospel for today comes from Mark, the 13th chapter. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, "'Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls.' Jesus replied, "'Yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another.' Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple." Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, Tell us, when will this happen? What sign will show us that all these things are about to be fulfilled? Jesus replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. But the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains, with more to come. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator, Jesus, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, who inspires us all. Amen. Back in 2006, the NBA enacted a rule regarding who is eligible to play professional basketball. The rule says that players either need to be 19 years old or one year removed from high school before they can enter the NBA draft. The result of this rule is that the most talented 18-year-olds graduate from high school, then they go and play college hoops for one year, and then they bolt for the NBA draft to make boatloads of money. Because of this, the 2006 rule has become known as the one-and-done rule. Well, that phrase, one-and-done, has crept into our wider culture, One and done is now used to describe disposable, one-use products such as plastic straws, or wet wipes, or diapers. One and done may be a way that a couple would describe themselves if they decide to stop having children after they have their first one. Military recruits are known as one and done if they don't re-up after their initial enlistment period. So the phrase is showing up in a number of ways. As I studied our second reading today from Hebrews, I wonder if maybe we couldn't incorporate the phrase one and done into our theological vocabulary as well. This same passage from Hebrews that was just read for us is also very often read on Good Friday because it dives deep into the work of Jesus on the cross and what that meant for us and for the world. The author makes a rather complex argument using imagery that may seem foreign to us but would have made perfect sense to first-century Christians who were rooted in Judaism. One of those images that the the author lifts up is of a priest making sacrifices in the temple for the forgiveness of sin. Priests had to make these sacrifices day after day because none of those sacrifices could remove sin forever. But when Jesus came, his sacrifice on the cross accomplished everything that we needed for forgiveness and for salvation. Hebrews says... Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin. In other words, Jesus' sacrifice was one and done. His sacrifice never needs to be repeated because it was perfect. Jesus' one and done sacrifice was once for all. There's nothing that we can do to add to that sacrifice, and there's nothing that we can do to diminish it. So as the author of Hebrews is making this argument, he introduces another mind-bender. And that is that Jesus is not only the perfect one-and-done sacrifice, but Jesus is also the priest who offers that sacrifice. Jesus is fulfilling both roles, the sacrifice and the priest, which tells us there is no part of this saving act that is left in human hands. Our salvation is in God's hands only. And that is good news for us. But now what? How does this one and done sacrifice, this assurance of our salvation, how does it affect how we live our lives? Well, the author of Hebrews is glad you asked, because he has some suggestions to offer us. The first suggestion is that we are to provoke one another. In our translation at this service, it said motivate, but a better word is that we are to provoke one another. That may seem strange, because we often associate the word provoke with negative behavior, For example, if you have kids, you probably know that siblings are very good at provoking one another. Provoking usually ends with parents refereeing some sort of dispute and disruption. And maybe it is children's propensity to provoke one another that leads some couples to follow the one and done rule. As adults, we are pretty good at provoking each other as well, aren't we? We know how to push those buttons, push the buttons of the people we love when we want to get things stirred up. In a broader scope, our current political climate easily lends itself to us provoking each other into arguments and disagreements about all sorts of political topics. You know it's bad when, in these weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, there are multiple articles and blogs out there offering advice on how to avoid talking about politics at your Thanksgiving table. I mean, we must be good at provoking one another if we need advice on how not to go to blows as we pass the mashed potatoes and gravy on a day that is meant to be filled with gratitude. Maybe instead of reading those blogs and articles, what we should do is read this passage from Hebrews when we gather for Thanksgiving. It's a pas- passage, after all, that tells us that we should provoke each other, but not into arguments. Instead, Hebrews tells us we are to provoke each other to love and good deeds. Well, there's an interesting twist. What does it look like to provoke one another to love and good deeds? Well, you know who was really good at that, don't you? Jesus was really good at provoking. He did a lot of provocative things that made some people really angry with him, And made other people want to imitate him. Jesus did things like he ate with tax collectors and sinners. He touched and healed the unclean. He forgave sin. He washed feet. He challenged the teaching and practices of religious leaders. He hung around with Samaritans and women and overturned tables in the temple. For the most part, these provocative actions of Jesus did not generate a neutral response from people. There were those who were provoked to anger, and there were those who were provoked to love and good deeds. Some were provoked to such hatred that they wanted to kill Jesus, and others were provoked to such gratitude that they wanted to be a part of his mission. You see, provoking others by imitating Jesus is not without risk. There are some who may get angry when we care for those who live in poverty. Or when we welcome the stranger into our community. Or when we support a child who has been left behind. That may generate anger. But mostly, I think, when our actions mirror the teaching of Jesus, we provoke others to love and to good deeds, as Hebrews encourages us. Several years ago, I was invited to the home of some church members for Thanksgiving. There was an assortment of people who had been invited, and one person who was there was actively struggling with an addiction. And it was apparent that this person was under the influence of something that day as we gathered. And yet he was welcomed into the safety of that living room and loved and cared for. Now I suspect he would have been completely alone that day and probably in much worse shape had he not received that invitation. It was easy to see Jesus in the actions of my host that day. I'm grateful for their witness of Christ like hospitality, which provoked me, laid on my heart to consider how I care and love those who might be easy to overlook. But it's easier to provoke others in negative ways, I think, than to provoke them to love and good deeds. It's a challenge. That's why I think the author of Hebrews offers us one more piece of instruction from our passage today. The author says that we are to make our weekly gathering here, our coming together for worship, we are to make this a high priority in our lives. Because it isn't always easy to be a follower of Jesus, and so we gather to encourage one another in our lives as disciples. Gathering here is something we should not neglect doing, the author of Hebrews tells us. You see, being faithful in worship isn't just for the sake of your own spiritual growth. It is also for the sake of all of the people sitting around you today. Because your very presence here encourages others. Gathering regularly is how we provoke faithfulness in each other as sisters and brothers in the family of faith. We gather here to be strengthened and to be encouraged And then we go out to provoke the heck out of other people, to provoke them to love and good deeds. And so I ask you, what do you think that might look like for you in this week coming up, or maybe even in the car ride home today? What does it look like to provoke one another to love and good deeds when you go to work tomorrow? Or when you gather with whomever you're going to gather with this week for Thanksgiving. How will you provoke others to love and good deeds? If you aren't sure what to do or how to do it, just look at the life and teaching of Jesus. Just do what he did. Now you may make some people angry. Jesus did sometimes. Or you just may provoke them to love and good deeds which means that they too will be imitating Jesus, which is what this disciple life is all about. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Please browse our website for other opportunities to grow in faith or serve the Lord. If you are able to worship with us at any time, we would be most honored by your presence.